Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. I, I actually texted my dad this morning uh, as well as some spiritual fathers. And uh, we're in this series, I guess you might say, because we're launching a new series. It's kind of a soft launch. We don't actually know what we're doing, but we know that the Holy Spirit knows what He's doing. And so our goal in this season is to follow the Holy Spirit. This is not a time of business as usual. It's not a time for me to come to you with a sermon series on seven steps to better relationships. I mean, I want you to have better relationships by all means. Figure out what those seven steps are. Blog about it. I will read it. Okay? I want it. I'm into it. I'm here for it. But as a church, we have to rely on the guidance of Holy Spirit right now. And we always do. We always do. But there is something about this moment that we must follow the Holy Spirit. Because what God wants, and dare I say what we need, is not business as usual. We, we cannot go through the motions and expect the people of God to be satisfied and nourished on a spiritual level if we just do local church as usual. We really have to dive deeper. We really have to say, God, what are you saying? And that's so important. There is so much going on in the world, and I know a lot of people are asking the question, what should the church be doing? That is a good question, not a great question. The great question is this, what is God saying? There, there, there's a lot of stuff that we should do, but before we do anything, we must listen, we must follow, we must submit, we must repent, we must hit our knees in prayer and say, God, what are you doing because before I take up the mantle of action, I long to know what action is the Holy Spirit taking. Because while my intent might be good, intent is not enough to bring about prolonged spiritual transformation. Our best motives cannot match God's transformation. What God wants to do, we must be ready to partner with. We must be willing to submit ourselves to and say, God, whatever you want church to look like in this season, if it's 49 people, not 50, we're not, we're not breaching the phases, right? If it's 49 people in a room, if it's church online for three months, if we're preaching to one camera, whatever it looks like, if it's launching a ministry called prayer room where we just sit in an all white room for an hour with a microphone and just sing whatever songs come up, then we'll do that too, God, because our greatest desire is that your greatest desires are met. Right? Because God's greatest desire is that He become your greatest desire. I want you to capture that just for a moment. God's greatest desire is that He become your greatest desire. That's what He wants more than anything else. Like, that's why He created you to love on you for all of eternity. Right? 
right? Right? I'm growing, so I appreciate you guys giving me permission to grow as a preacher. But, you know, even if it's not perfect, I know it's okay. You know why? Because we're in family. Family is not a place where you have to be successful. The family of God is not the place where you're forced to be successful. You're just faithful. You're just faithful. You don't have to be successful. You don't have to be famous, just faithful. You don't have to have some big impact gauged by society, just faithful to the Father, just faithful to minister to the Father's heart, just faithful to sit at the dinner table with Dad and say, hey, here's what happened today. That's what God calls success, that you just keep coming back and sitting with Him and hanging with Him. If you guys are waiting for me to start preaching, I've already started. I know that the keys are playing. He's not going to stop, all right? So, Sorry about that if that was not your original intent, but um, we've been doing that over the last couple of weeks, and I think it sounds nice. What do you guys think? So um, I don't know how this message is going to go. I really did not try to sermonize. Sometimes I do. I really like preaching, and oftentimes I'll put together like seven to nine pages of notes, and they'll be extremely articulate. Yep, Grace knows because she's the one who makes the keynotes. And she gets exhausted, you know, reading through these things because I have so many notes. I don't have a lot of notes today. And the reason is because I just cannot do business as usual right now. I'm just being honest with you guys. I'll sit down to sermonize and it's like there's nothing there. I know when the wind of the Spirit is on what God wants me to say. And as I've sit down to sermonize, it's like the Holy Spirit's like, no, just just sit with me. And then whatever we talk about, just talk about that. I'm like, Lord, that is not very assuring. I need this to be good. And the Holy Spirit's like, is anything I say bad? And I'm like, no, there's not. But you just don't talk enough. I got to talk for 40 minutes. Like how? And it's so interesting because I think the Holy Spirit, you know, he loves to listen to us. He loves to hear what we have to say, but we can never forget prayer is not a monologue, right? Prayer is a dialogue. Prayer is as much about listening as it is about speaking. So I was thinking about the scripture this week. Oh, I was going to tell you guys, I texted my dad. That's where I was going. But Romans 8 and 18, so you guys probably all know this. If you want to open it in your app, that's fine. In your Bible at home, that's fine. Romans 8, 18. But I was just thinking about some of the things that God has been speaking to me about this week. And so I decided to text my dad and I decided to text some spiritual fathers. And here's what I said. I said, uh, in quotes, you have not many fathers has not been my experience. You remember Paul said that you have not many fathers. You have a thousand teachers, but you need some dads. Right. And I just so I. I text, I text my dad this morning. I text some spiritual fathers. And I said, you have not many fathers has not been my experience. And a big reason for that is you. So thank you. And, and I recognize that that today is actually an odd experience. Because most people who live in our city do not have a good connection with their dad. 
a lot of people who live in our city who've grown up going to church wouldn't be able to confess, I have this great relationship with spiritual moms and dads. I mean, so many people, even folks who've attended church for decades, they, they go through life like orphans. They go through life without a home. They go through life at any point in time. They're disgruntled even for a moment. They eject from community and they go the path of isolation. And the path of isolation is the path of destruction, right? We see that happening all the time. And so as I was thinking about doing church as a family and talking to the Holy Spirit about it, I I, I went to Romans 8.18, very simple verse of scripture. You guys all know it. I'll read it from the ESV. It says, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation, everybody say the whole world waits with eager longing everybody say expectation for the revealing of the sons of God I was thinking of the John Mayer song waiting on the world to change this week and I was like literally because the word of God says so literally the world is waiting on us to get God's understanding of family so that redemption can be released all throughout the nations of the earth. But the nations are not going to be transformed as a result of us being great missionaries. But great sons and daughters, right? The political sphere is not going to be transformed as a result of us being great politicians, but us being great sons or daughters. You guys get anything out of this? I think it's good. I'm an amen myself, right? You guys got it, yeah. What's going to transform the world? Sons and daughters. You know, Psalm chapter 2 teaches us that if we want the nations, then we go to the Father and we ask God that He give us the nations as an... In- you guys know this. Come on, you guys are the, you guys are the leaders. You're going to have to preach back to me today. Um, I will give you the nations as your inheritance. Does the Bible say, come to me, I will commission you, go to the nations, and then you do spiritual warfare long enough and hard enough to wrestle the nations out of the death grip of the enemy. The Bible doesn't say that, but often that's how we approach transformation. Often that's how we approach reformation. Oftentimes that's how we approach missions. We're like, I'm going to go to the nations. I'm going to go into Nashville. I'm going to go into this sphere of culture. And then I'm going to put on the armor of God, which is good because that's biblical. But I'm going to prepare myself to go to war with the enemy. And eventually I'll get powerful enough. I'll become anointed enough to wrestle my inheritance away from my enemy but that's not actually what the word of God says it says for your inheritance go to the father which is a familiar term right not not familiar familial go to the father go to the father go as a son that's who changes the world not warriors that are super bold and aggressive and tenacious. You may have some of that. I hope you do. I got some of that. But it's sons 
its sons and its sons that build the house of God, not warriors. Why couldn't David build the temple? Because he had blood on his hands. So God said, I'm not going to let you build the house. You're a warrior. You're a fighter. You're aggressive. You're strategic. You're a general. You're very intelligent. You write great songs. You're a man after my own heart, but you've got blood on your hands. And I'm not going to allow warriors to build my house. I empower sons and daughters to build my house. People who are not fighting for inheritance, but people who know who they are, rooted and grounded in their identity as sons and daughters, and there the inheritance flows. There the inheritance is released. So the next time that you feel tempted to wrestle your inheritance away from the enemy, I want you to go take a nap instead. I want you to go rest. I want you to go lay down on your couch, put your blanket on, and I want you to say this right before you nod off to sleep. I'm thinking of what to say. Up yours, devil. Say something like that. I don't know. I... You like that? David Hogan said that at Bethel, which I, I borrowed his phrasing. And I'm like, if he can say that at Bethel, I can definitely say that at my own church. Romans 8, 18, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of sons of the sons of God. Sons, daughters, emerge, empowered, right? I was, as I was thinking about this this week, I recognized that every single breakthrough in my life has come within the context of community. Think about it. What great breakthrough has happened in your life that did not come in the context of community? That, that did not come within the context of family. Uh, our dad used to say this all the time. Tell me if you remember it. God uses people to bless people. Now, that doesn't sound very revelatory to you right now. I know that. But my dad would always remind us, hey, when God gets ready to bless you, he's going to move through a man. He's going to move through a woman. And then the blessing of God is going to be released through a relationship. You need a raise. You have to have a boss that signs the check. Right? You're going to be empowered to a new position. You have to have a manager who makes the decision to release that favor. You see what I'm saying? God uses people to bless people. My, my dad would always remind us of that because what he was reminding us of, while the blessing comes from God, don't burn your bridges with people because that messes with your blessing. God wants to use people as a conduit of his blessing to your life. And even if you have a great relationship with him, but you have a poor relationship with everybody else, God can't bless you. He's trying to. So every blessing, every breakthrough, every major thing that's happened in my walk, I'm recognizing as I look back, that has come within the context of community. Even the way, or the context of family, to go a little deeper, even the way I was discipled took place within the context of family. I would think that primarily the moments in which you were discipled most effectively did not come from a podcast, but from a person. It didn't come from a YouTube video, but it came from a small group. It came from a community where people were doing life on life with you to an, to an extent enough 
to, to lay hands upon your head, to prophesy into your heart, to believe for healing for your body, to listen to your problems, to share wisdom and counsel in exchange. Within the context of community, there is that, that addition, that breakthrough. And even when I got saved, the way in which I was discipled was by sitting at, uh, well, actually at the dinner table initially, because my mom would prepare dinner and we'd sit down and we'd eat as a family. And then afterwards, we'd go to the couch and my dad would put in a T.D. Jakes DVD. And for nine months, we watched a different T.D. Jakes sermon. This was before I moved to Texas. We watched a different T.D. Jakes sermon every single night. And when I had a question, I'd say, hey, I got a question. My dad would pause it. He would answer my question, then play it. And we'd go back to the message. That's the way I did nine months of discipleship before going to ministry school. And um, even getting my start preaching was the result of family invitation. I started preaching six months after I was saved. Bad idea. I just want to be honest. Because I went from, I went from being a drug addict, being a drug dealer, being oppressed, depressed, and possessed, no doubt, to six months later being in full-time vocational preaching ministry. Who lets that kid have a mic? Your dad. I, I, I was training to go play college basketball at the time. That was my dream. Spence knows this growing up. And so when I was saved, I said, I'm going to go back and I'm going to train it. And I was better than I'd ever been because I was drug free. I wasn't partying anymore. I was, I mean, I was like, oh, I'm going to go play. And after all these T.D. Jake sermons, one night I interrupted a message and I said, dad, I got to tell you something. And I felt the Holy Spirit brood over that living room. We sang about it this morning. You know, when the Holy Spirit's in the room and it almost feels like it's, it's almost like uh, humidity. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, <gasps> like too much Holy Ghost, <laughs> you know? I mean, they tell you to get on the ground and crawl whenever you're like in a fire, in a house fire. It's the same way in the spirit. Why do you think you're pressed to the floor? <gasps> too much glory clouds. And that's what happened in the room. And I said, Dad, I got to tell you something. I'm called to preach. And uh, my dad said, always knew that, son. And it was within the context of family that I got permission to be me. Because family has an ability to see you for who you're called to become, not what you've done or who you currently are. And he goes, I've always, I've always known that son. I remember his voice was like choked up. Uh, you, Dad always cries. I've always, I've always known that son. And I was so happy. I was like, oh, this is great. And then he said, here's when you're preaching. I just got saved. I mean, I was just trying to tell you I had a feel like this is what God's here's the date I shouldn't be preaching like I'm pretty sure like, I'm not qualified to preach 
Oh, you'll be fine. Eh, not quite sure about that, but okay. So I plagiarized the T.D. Jake sermon. And I preached word for word. Like, seriously, I had in the margins, like, get emotional here. Like, in the margins, like, take off your coat here. And I got up, and I mean, I preached with the fire and the fervor of, like, that was my own message. And people came up afterward, and they're like, that's the best message I've ever heard for a first time. And I was like, I didn't want to tell them. But it was on, I think it was on July the 6th. I think that's what I remember. He's like, this is when you're preaching July the 6th. And I, I remember the next time that I preached, um, I was like, I'm not going to plagiarize a message. I'm going to preach on the blood of Jesus. And so I prepared this big, long message on the blood of Jesus. And I must have been preaching forever because my dad was on the front row and he was like, look at your time. And even though it was my second time preaching, I was like, it's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Only in the context of family can you say, it's totally fine. Don't worry about it, Pops. He's <laughs> like, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> don't worry. It'll be okay. But this is how I was discipled, and this is how I was empowered to preach, was within the context of family. And so for me, I can testify and say that a majority if not almost all of the opportunities that I've received, of the favor that I've received, of the invitation I've received, has come within the context of family, community, and kingdom relationships. Amen? I heard one man say, you are who you are because somebody loved you. Think about that. You are who you are because somebody loved you. So the question I want to ask you I want to say as we get started, but really it's probably halfway there. Um, who loved you into where you are today? Somebody did. You didn't get here by yourself. Somebody along the way loved you into your purpose. And it's not complete yet for sure. That's why we stay within the context of family. Even as we started saying family for us here as Legacy, and even before we were an actual church, we were meeting as a ministry group with Iris Global, and we felt like the Holy Spirit said, I want you to declare you're a family, 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 and so we kept doing that, and then some people would leave, and they would say, this is the worst family that I've ever been a part of, it's terrible, and I hate it, and I'm out. And so we regretted saying family. And then there were other people who were like, I've never had a family. You guys came in here and started talking about family. It feels like family. This is the best family that I've ever been a part of. And I'm growing in my faith because now I'm a part of a family. And that, and that happens. And what we recognized is that everybody brings their own definition to the table. On the basis of your experience, you bring your definition of what family is into the church. And you do this every Sunday. So every time we say, we're not just a ministry, we're a family. Then everybody's listening, thinking, I don't like that. Or, oh, this is giving me all the good feels. I've never been a part of a family. It's going to be so good. People are going to lend me money and invite me over for dinner. And it's going to be great. And people are going to affirm me. And, and then when, they, when that doesn't happen, this, this ain't a family. On, on what basis? 
on the basis of my expectation, on the basis of my definition, on the basis of what I did not have growing up. So we began approaching the Lord, asking God, can you please define family for us? Because everybody's bringing their own definition and every single one of us are unique and every single one of us have our own experiences. So there's no way that we can keep proclaiming that we're not just a ministry, we're a family. If there's 150, you know, which is about the size we were when we started in the first church we were a part of, definitions of what family is. So you've got to give us a singular definition that we can rally around so that when we say family, everybody knows what we mean. Here's what we came up with. Here's what God came up with. It's just so good. I could never say we came up with it. Family is where you're loved into your purpose. Think about it. Family is where you're loved into your purpose. You are loved unconditionally. Can I say that over each and every one of you guys here and anybody who will ever show up here? You are loved unconditionally. You are accepted as you are. All of, all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your guilt, all of your warts, all of your wrinkles, all of your wardrobe choices. You are accepted as you are. No conditions. You belong. Even before you agree with what we teach, you can be a part. That's controversial to say that. That's very controversial. But that's family. Family, despite your life choices, if it's a good family, you keep refrigerator privileges. Meaning I can come in a mess. I can come in sloppy and dirty, didn't brush my teeth, you know, hadn't cut my toenails, but I'm still wearing flip-flops and I don't even care. You know what I mean? I come in and I go straight to the fridge and I make myself a ham and cheese sandwich because this is my family. So I get to do what I want. I'm unconditionally accepted here. Burp, fart, give me the remote. I'm going to turn it to what I want to watch. You guys get what I'm saying? That's unconditional acceptance. You are accepted despite who you are, in spite of who you are. You're just accepted for who you are. But here's the thing. You're loved unto your purpose, meaning you can't stay where you are. Because we have an assignment as family to uphold one another in our purpose to uphold one another in our kingdom identity, to uphold one another in the word of God over our life. And so we champion and challenge. So we champion and challenge. You guys get what I'm saying? We champion and challenge unto the fulfillment of your full purpose. So don't be shy about what your purpose is. Whatever you're called to, verbalize it within the context of family. Chances are God's put somebody in the family that can open a door for you to get you closer to that purpose. God uses people to bless people. If you guys don't get anything else out of this message, you'll remember that because that's straight from Papa Jeff. God uses people to bless people. Don't burn all your bridges, son. God may want to deliver some blessing over top those bridges. <laughs> this is good for some of y'all. Somebody in here needs to hear this. Somebody online needs to hear this. When it's time to transition, don't burn all your bridges. 
So I know sometimes it's the simple things that are the best things, isn't it? All right, I, I probably got to hurry up. How much time I got, Brian? Give me a, about 10 minutes, 10 minutes. Okay. Has this worked out well for y'all so far? Okay. I'm, I'm literally just talking until I say something. And we can do that because as Ray just said, it's family. Catch this. While Adam was placed in paradise, because that's what the Garden of Eden is. Have you ever looked at the original Hebrew word for Eden? Here's how it's translated. Paradise. Isn't that cool? Because that takes on a brand new definition to what Jesus whispered over to the thief on the other cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. That place that I created for us. So that I could love on you for all of eternity. And you could take walks with me in the cool of the day. Just give up the ghost. Stop fighting. Stop being aggressive. Stop trying to wrestle the inheritance away from the enemy. Just, just lay down with Jesus and then you can be with him in, right? And so what happened was um, God created our first dad, Adam, and then he placed him in paradise And after a little bit, he said, there is no suitable companion for Adam. And this is not good. Moon, stars, oceans, land, trees, animals. Good, 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 good. Adam, you know, very good. Whoa. Very good. This is the best. This is the best thing I've come up with so far. That should hit somebody in the heart. You're the best thing God's come up with. And when he was finished with you, he said, I'm going to rest now. Because it's not going to get any better than that. Get this. So Adam's first day was actually God's seventh day. So although God, had a, uh, God gave Adam a commission to work, he didn't start working. He started napping. Y'all ain't getting this. God creates our first dad, and he says, oh, you're going to be great. Here's how you're going to start. Rest. You're going to take a whole day. You're going to take a thousand years. And all you're going to do is just take walks with me. That's good. Very good. And, you know, he sits Adam down. He's taking a walk and he's enjoying what he's created. He said, Adam's alone. Hold on. Was that true? Didn't Adam have God? Of course. But God looked at Adam and said, there's no suitable companion. And this is not good. So what did he do? We know the story of creation. He lays Adam down. He takes a rib and he fashions our first mom, Eve, the mother of all. And then 
wakes Adam up from his nap. And then Adam looks at Eve and he says about Eve what God said about him. This is very good. Very, very good. The reason I bring this up is because there's something about this that we all really need to get. You need more than God to do what God has called you to do. You need more than God to do all that God has called you to do. I can do it all by myself. Thank you very much. I don't need anybody but Jesus. That wasn't the case for Adam. He had God. And God said, not good. How often do we partner with that spirit of independence? I don't need anybody. I'm going to do everything God's called me to do by myself. God said over our first dad, I've called you to do all these great things, but you're not going to be able to do it by yourself and it be good. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fashion for you a community, a suitable helper. I'm going to give you a wife and then you guys going to have some kids and then that's going to be called a And out of the context of family, you're going to be fruitful and multiply. You're going to take dominion and subdue the earth. And you're going to fulfill the original great commission. But you're not going to do it alone. You're going to do it within the context of family. God created the world. Then he created family to shape the world. So this whole idea of I don't need anybody but God. God says not true. God uses people to bless people. God blesses people through people. This is why we say family is where you're loved into your purpose. This is God's idea of church. This is God's idea of kingdom. Bill Johnson once said, once you've left the concept of family, you've left the concept of kingdom. Let me repeat that. Once you've left the concept of family, you've left the concept of kingdom. Catch this. What words would you think are used more than any other words throughout the Bible? Think of the words that you're like, these are the important ones. Think about, think about this, grace. That's an important word, right? And we know the New Testament is smaller than the Old, but guess how many times grace is mentioned in the Bible? 130 times. 130 times, which is a lot. It's a lot of mentions. Grace is pretty important in our lives. Would you guys agree? How about this? Joy. I mean, grace is important. Joy is mentioned 180 times in the Bible. We need a lot more joy than we allow in the church. Would you guys agree? If you don't like having fun, you won't like heaven. You know, because you know what the Bible says? We're going to a marriage family. Hold on. Wait, what? A marriage? A covenant? 
a marriage supper of the lamb, a dinner party with God sounds festive. How about this? Love. How many times is love mentioned? Oh, love. Love. The greatest of these is faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. I always try to figure out why in the world is love the greatest? Faith and hope are pretty important. And it's because you're not going to need faith and hope in heaven. But love is forever in paradise. That's not the next season of The Bachelor either. Love in paradise. One thousand one hundred and thirty times the Bible uses this word father one thousand one hundred and thirty times the Bible uses the term father and I know today so many people are up in arms about how we should refer to God God referred to himself as father that's why we refer to him as father not because we're trying to be politically incorrect or whatever it is that people are arguing over currently always something but God's word is eternal and he refers to himself as father which is why when Jesus began his ministry and was baptized by his cousin within the context of family breakthroughs emerge Literally, Jesus is baptized by his own cousin. And some people are like, I don't want my cousin to baptize me. They're not very well known. They haven't written any books. They're not a famous preacher. Jesus was literally baptized by his cousin who had less influence than you do on your Instagram. Look at it historically. Okay, I got to finish. But here's the thing. When you consider that, Jesus goes down into the water. He's got this sacred moment happening. He emerges. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove, right? 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 And the Father speaks out over Jesus, the Son of God. And he said, this is my beloved in whom I am well pleased. When did Jesus step into the place of persecution? When did Jesus step into the place of being in danger? When did Jesus step into the shadow of the cross? Not until. Not until God said, this is my son. Hold on. There was all these other titles that were floating around, probably in Mary's heart and in Joseph's conversations. The Messiah? Emmanuel, didn't the angel say it was Emmanuel? King of kings, Lord of lords, king of the Jews. You know, they're thinking about all these different titles that they could ascribe to Jesus. But Jesus did not step into that place of being in danger until the father spoke over him. This is the son of God. That tells you how dangerous our relationships are to hell. 
It was not until son was spoken over him, not preacher, not miracle worker, not prophet, not healer, but son. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Jesus didn't even preach his first message until he received the revelation that he was a son. Before you're released into the fullest expression of your ministry, you must have your identity touched by the Father and hear the Lord speak out over you. You are a son. You are a daughter. And that must be rooted in your spirit and you carry that out with you wherever you go. That is, that's the key right there to world change. So if you guys don't mind, let's stand. I'm three minutes over. Alex was just, you know, on the keys like that and I just just it just moved me at a soul level so I had to keep going but I just want to pray over you today and here's what I feel to pray and we may lean into this a little bit more next week I don't know but we're going to follow the spirit as a family amen so uh, I just want to pray, if you don't mind, just for a moment, close your eyes. Wherever you are at home, close your eyes just for a moment, please. I'm going to pray quickly for the sake of time. We have another service in 27 minutes. And I just want to pray that you would know, like know in your knower, as they say, that you're a son and that you're a daughter. And if you've never heard God speak over you, I want you to listen right now for a moment. Listen to what the Father has to say over you. My beloved son, my beloved daughter, my beloved son, my beloved daughter, in whom I am well pleased. You may be thinking, that's impossible. I have not done anything great. Neither had Jesus. Jesus hadn't done anything spectacular. He had not multiplied food. He had not healed the sick. He had not raised the dead. He had not even preached a single sermon. And before he did anything good, the father says, you are my son. You are my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And everybody watching online and listening today, I just want you to receive that affirmation and that affection from the father because you are a son and you belong to a family. You belong to a family, the capital C church, the global church of Jesus Christ, the church that we talked about from the very beginning of this message that Jesus is building. That is our family. And if you don't have a local church, wherever you are watching, get in a local church. It doesn't have to be this one. Just be a part of a local church. Be a part of a family. So we receive your word today, Lord, all that you have to speak to us. May it take root in our heart and bear 100-fold fruit. We declare that we will walk out of the sanctuary today. And I say that in the spirit. You don't have to be in this room to be in the sanctuary. We will walk out of the sanctuary today as sons and as daughters. And everywhere we go, we are going to release an atmosphere of connection, of relationship, of safety, of basic trust, and family. And we declare that's the atmosphere that we carry. Everybody's invited in as they are to become who God has called them to be. 
In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. God bless you, church. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.